I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. Welcome to the Lasso Lowdown, where we get to go down all things Ted Lasso. This is a Mango Talks podcast, and we are going to review Ted Lasso and Apple Plus series episode by episode. We're going to crank through the first season here. First season, obviously, is already premiered. We're going to crank through the first season, Spencer and I, and then we are going to go through season two with you when it premieres week by week, live when it comes late July. Spencer, how you feeling about reviewing Ted Lasso? I am actually ecstatic. I mean, I watched the show back in 2020, and it was one of the shows that just truly caught me off guard that it was there. I knew vaguely about what these were all. The show's come, coming out of like commercials that were on ABC or NBC, right? That's where that's where it originally came from. So I actually have this in my So Ted Lasso is a character that was created for promos of NBC sports coverage of the Premier League. And basically, what they did is they said, okay, um, you know, it's for an American audience. We have to really jazz up our promos, really get people engaged to watch the Premier League here in the States. What are we going to do? We're going to hire Jason Sudeikis. What does Jason Sudeikis do? Create a character that then he spins out into an Emmy-winning sitcom. It's, it was fabulous. It's one of the things of where I didn't anticipate much for it because it seemed like a bit of an odd premise. We're going to take like two commercials that were done and make an entire show out of them. But I should have maybe given it a little bit more hope. It's got Jason Sudeikis, who's great. It's both developed and run by Bill Lawrence, who did Scrubs, which is a hell of a hell of a pedigree resume. But even still, I went into this with very low with very low expectations. I actually kind of talked you into watching it. Yeah, you certainly did. And I mean, we have a really bad track record of commercials becoming sitcoms, right? We had the caveman <laughs> thing. Yeah. That was really bad. I think they met, did they do like the Geico lizard? I mean, there's been a few of these, and it's all been garbage. This, however, I'm going to go ahead. I'm not burying the lead, Spencer. I love Ted Lasso. I'm Yay! just going to fawn over this show as we do it. It's, it's going to awesome. be a lot of fun. We're going to go episode by episode. So, of course, this is our premiere episode here on the Lasso Lowdown. We are covering episode one, aptly titled Pilot. We're going to run through a recap, which Spencer will lead. If you've ever listened to any of our other Mangum Talks podcasts, this is a shocker, a switcheroo. It's we are before. totally, it is, uh, it is totally uh, opposite day here because Spencer is going to lead the recap. Typically, <laughs> I do that. Spencer will lead the recap. We'll go into our segments. Our segments are going to be a little bit different than some of our other pods. We're going to start with the Sports Center Top 10. This is, it's a show about sports. So, this is apropos. We're doing Sports Center Top 10. And basically, mm-hmm. that segment is the 10 things or less, that we want to highlight to you about the episode, or just about Ted Lasso, or just about anything that we're thinking about. That's the Sports Center Top 10. Then we will go to train wreck of the episode, because if you've watched any episodes of Ted Lasso, you know there is at least one good solid train wreck per episode, so we will cover that in the train wreck of the episode. And then we will end with, look, Ted Lasso, heartwarming show, makes mm-hmm. you feel good inside. What are we going to do when we end our segments? We're going to end it on Ted's Lessons. It's a segment mm-hmm. where we talk about what lessons we can draw from Ted, from the episode, and they're only sometimes going to be sarcastic. Most of the time, <laughs> most of the time, they're going to be genuine, but, and we're going to try to leave you with a good taste in your mouth, just like this show does. Spencer, yeah. what do you think about the segments? Well, particularly with respect to the last segment, I think it really just summarizes where you and I are coming to this, is that you and I are a bit of jaded misanthropes. It's kind of what we bring to bear in reviewing shows. It's kind of our nature. This show is just an insidious habit of getting under your skin and making you feel good about the world. And I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it makes me feel happy. I absolutely agree. It makes you feel good. It's a it's a wonderful show. So we're going to we're going to do that on a week by week basis with those segments. So before we jump into the recap, which Spencer will lead, we are uh, I want to tell you a little bit about other pods that we do. So if you've ever listened to any of our other podcasts before, you know that we're hosted at MangumTalks.com. That is the brain trust here with Spencer and I, Mangum Talks. And you can check out our other pods. There's Mangum Reads. It's a basically a digital book club where week by week they go through short stories. They go through books. They also have a podcast within that podcast. Wrap your mind around that little inception, which is Pottering Around, where they do a chapter by chapter reread of Harry Potter. It is glorious. Check out uh, Pottering Around, which is within Mangum Reads. You can also check out Nevers More, which is a review podcast of HBO's The Nevers, which we just wrapped up the first half of season one. Had a great job doing that. Uh, a lot of fun. And then we have Mangum Talks TV, which is basically Catch All, where Spencer and I get together. We review whatever we've watched. If we think it's interesting, we hop on the pod, we review it. So that's enough of the housekeeping. Please check those pods out. But right now, the issue at hand is Ted Lasso. Episode one, we start with the recap. Spencer, sir, take it away. Well, we begin with a glorious rendition of God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols, which I was so proud of myself, I actually recognized without having to look up. That is a rare thing when it comes to me and music. I am impressed. 
I, you know, it happens on rare occasions. As we have this song blaring in the background, we zoom in on AFC Richmond Stadium, Nelson Road, which, if you didn't know, is actually a real Premier League stadium of Crystal Palace called Selhurst Park. All of this is filmed on the Crystal Palace's grounds. Spencer coming in hot with the trivia. I like it. This is what I'm here for. As we kind of zoom past some players practicing, we have a bit of a record scratch as we come in on Rebecca Welton, who is staring at what I can only describe as an exceptionally ugly painting on a bare wall while a collection of moving crew are changing shop around her in what is now her new office. As we find out from the scene as her assistant slash director of communications slash whipping boy Higgins comes in, there's a few bits of information we need to know. One, she's recently divorced from Rupert Mannion, who is the what prior a name. What a rich guy name. <laughs> Incredible writing. <laughs> if you have that name written down, you've learned everything you need to know about him from the start. He's rich and he's a prick. We've got that down already. I'm doing the thing when, you know, like you have, you have a good sauce in an Italian mm, restaurant. Mm, it's just ah, yes, beautiful yes. writing. I love it. <laughs> that she's recently divorced. The picture was from a fifth year anniversary. She's loaded. The painting is worth a, mi what, a million pounds, I think Higgins described it as. Pounds. And, more than dollars, folks. Yeah, indeed. And, bucks. and as a result of the divorce, she has now taken over the team. She got the team. Interesting. Yeah, that is one of the tabloids that's sitting on her desk, because apparently she reads them all out of a bit of self-loathing and self-flagellation. He got the bimbos, she got the bozos. Which gives us a little bit of an impression about what AFC Richmond brings to bear. Uh, one thing I want to point out about Rebecca Welton, the character um, is played by Hannah Waddington. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, if you have a sharp eye and you are like gay, uh, like Spencer and I and you are Game of Thrones fans, you will know her as Shame. 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 She's Septrunella <laughs> from Game of Thrones. So if you hear me shout Shame as uh, we have recaps of scenes with her, you know why. Uh, as part of her new role as owner, one of the first things she's going to do is drop the existing manager. Uh, we have George show up briefly. We don't get to spend much time with this character, but... Um, what feelings did you get from him from the brief time that we had? I'll tell you about this guy. Very limited screen time, but I feel oh, like I know him. And I'll tell you, I've <laughs> never been to London. Hand up, I will admit this. Mm. But I've never been to London. But every fear I have about going to London is encompassed in this fucking guy. This is what I'm scared I'm going to land and like run into, is this mm -hmm. idiot. Yeah, he's the worst. I mean, he's utterly despicable. He throws out gay jokes. He's casual misogyny. He's apparently pretty bad at his job, just relentlessly mediocre in terms of team performance for years. And he wears tiny shorts and his testicles are constantly popping out. Not much of a surprise that she wants this guy gone. He's promptly... Yeoman Noel or whatever? The, the Oasis guys? Is that what she named him? That was pretty funny. <laughs> she did, yes. And... He's dropped. Higgins offers to, you know, put out a list of new potential managers, but Rebecca has an idea. We cut to Sports Center, which this universe is equivalent to Sports Center, as we find out that AFC Richmond has hired Ted Lasso as a new manager. Spencer, do you know who is the host of Sports Center? God no. The last time I watched Sports Center was with you guys in uh, the side lunchroom inside uh, one of the cafeterias at UNC Chapel Hill. Okay. All right. So yeah, that's like 16 years ago. Okay. So I uh, asked the question because I'm always trying to figure out exactly where you're at with sports. You shock me sometimes. Sometimes it permeates. Pop culture will permeate and you will know a sporting fact. This is actually Scott Van Pelt. It is a real anchor of Sports Center. He's the primetime anchor of Sports Center, so it's a good get for the show. Nice. And he's informing his audience that Ted Lasso has been hired as the new manager of AFC Richmond. Now, we learn a little bit about Ted's resume right here. What are some of the, what are, what are some of the details that we tease out about his background? Okay. Knows nothing, nothing about soccer. Uh, football. Zip. We're going to call it soccer here. Occasionally I may call it football sarcastically, but it's soccer. Uh, he knows nothing about soccer. Never coached soccer before. Matter of fact, never coached a pro team before. Mm -hmm. The only coaching experience that we know of is, that's being reported here is that he was a football coach for not even a D1 school. A D2. Like a D, D2 school. However, shout out to my man Ted Lasso, didn't win a championship. He did. In his first season running this school, the Division II Wichita State Shockers, which I did have to look up with. They are real school, real mascot. I liked it. Wichita no. State Shockers, uh, very often NCAA tournament worthy uh, basketball program. Not a real football team anymore, though. Hence why they picked them for, that, for, for this particular role. They oh, were, that's funny. I didn't realize it. 
They were a Division One team until 1985, and they decided it wasn't worth the money. And they haven't haven't had a um, a, a college football team since. Okay, so they didn't demote. They just said to hell with it. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> Not okay. worth it. All right, got it. Uh, but he is both famous for his remarkable success and also famous for what can best be described as a very exuberant viral dance video. Fucking crushing it. Like this, I'm not sure if this, because it was obviously, it, this show debuted in like what, mid to 2020? Yeah. Probably filmed in 2019. I'm not sure where TikTok was in the cultural zeitgeist <laughs> at this point, but obviously a TikTok worthy moment. Absolutely. And Jason Sudeikis is killing it with the dance he's doing with his team. And what's a key thing here is just how excited the team is. This could be awkward as shit to see this white guy, the white guy coach doing this dance in front of them, but everybody's just overjoyed with him as they're filming this. And we really get from the, the what, what, remind me what the name of the guy from, who's on the anchor for Sports Center is? Scott Van Pelt. SVP. Scott Van Pelt. What would you say? What would you summarize as kind of his tone or thoughts about Ted Lasso? We get from, from, from his descriptions. Cause in my mind, it comes across as very much amused. Uh, thought it was kind of funny. Thinks the whole story is roundly bizarre. Thinks it's mm-hmm. very bizarre. But his tone is. Um, I'm not. I'm not. It's. It's on the spectrum of dismissive, but it's not quite the dismissive. It's just like slightly amused, but sort of confused. If it was anybody other than Ted, he might be dismissive. But Ted just has a way. <laughs> Yes, well, he does. way, if you will. Uh, he wishes Ted well on what is a legitimately confusing new enterprise that he's engaged on, and we cut to meet Ted. Ends it with time. Go America, Go America. <laughs> yeah, make send us this, proud. Send this hayseed over there. Let's kick some ass in soccer. <laughs> proper, proper Kansas across the pond. Uh, we cut to the plane, presumably British Airways, as we get to meet Ted for the first time. And there's a couple things about this scene that kind of tell us that Ted may not be as one note as he's being framed to be. First thing is. He's reading Dharma Bums by by Jack Kerouac, which is an interesting read for this kind of character. Uh, for those not familiar, Kerouac was basically kind of the almost founder pioneer of the hippie uh, counterculture. He was a beat he was a beat think philosopher slash poet slash writer, famous for On the Road. And this is the second novel that he wrote as kind of the aftermath of writing On the Road. It's an odd book for this character to be reading that kind of gives us a hint. There's a bit more depth to him. It is a great little detail, and it is one of my favorite details on a long list of favorite details about this character is that he's extremely well read, and yes. we get that this this is consistent through the season. Absolutely, a fan as he sits down in his chair, a fan kind of jumps up to take an ussy, which I'm really surprised I've never heard before as a term. It's a great term. Wait a second, is that really what British people call a selfie? It's not a selfie. There's more than one person there. It's an ussy. Oh, they really call it that? I've heard it. I double-checked with a couple of friends, and they said they've heard it before. I don't know if it's a big okay. thing. Okay, all right. Because I, 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 that's the thing that this show does so well to some, yes. like, completely, like, you know, imperialist American like me that doesn't leave the country. Like, I um, never know if they're making up facts about <laughs> British culture or not. I can't tell mm-hmm. what's real or what's not. It's got me on my toes. It, it adds to the fun. You are in the Ted Lasso mindset when it comes to this show. Uh, not really an imperialist American, by the way. I was joking. Yeah, it, 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 the fan really kind of summarizes, I call him fan, because he's legitimately excited to meet Ted and legitimately excited for him, while at the same time saying, this is wicked, you're going to die. They will actually murder you. This is your future. It's awesome how stupid what you're doing is. <laughs> we cut from that, as he kind of turns around, like, oh, yeah, 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 good for you, um, to meet Coach Beard. My guy. Coach My God, Spencer, we've not talked about this show. We we have we have first saved time, it for first the time. I have not had a chance to tell you about my love for this character. Tell Coach me, man, dude, he's pound for pound steals the show. He's he gets how many how many lines an episode? Maybe three. Not many, but they're, they're very conservative with his lines. But every one of them is meaningful. Every, every one one's is a four hundred and forty foot home run. Every single one. And one of the things we quickly get out of this guy is that he is a really much a necessary counterpart to Ted. That the two of them are a team, they are a unit, they work together, and they balance each other out. Ted is just the childlike, inspirational exuberance. Beard is the grounded, rational, data-driven strategy. And between the two of them, they make great things happen. And one of the things that summarizes that is their reading material. Said Ted's reading Darby Bums. Beard is reading Inverting the Pyramid of the History of Soccer Tactics by Jonathan Wilson. Much more practical for what they're about to do. That's the first book you see. You actually book, see yes. two books in the scene. Did you notice that? No. What was the second one? I missed At it. the end, he holds up co- coaching soccer for dummies. <laughs> Keep it down to brass tacks. That's <laughs> where they're coming from here. 
it, they discuss some of the differences in language, and they also bring up the elephant in the room. Are we nuts for doing this? I love that Beard doesn't beat around the bush with his answer. Yeah, they're nuts. And and Lasso counters you. Well, look, it's a challenge. Take it on a challenge. It's a lot like riding a horse. If you're not comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah, it, it summarizes their different philosophies. It's something that Beard just kind of has to smile at, as well as, again, we're seeing a lot of Ted Lasso as a character. He's just kind of childlike playfulness. As he, you know, they're going to go to sleep. He turns around and says, if we meet each other in our dreams, let's goof around and pretend we don't know each other. To which Beard can only smile. As he's getting ready to, you know, calm down for the night, he looks at a picture of his wife and his kid on his phone. And at this point, we think, oh, isn't that nice? He's got a loving family at home. Yeah, absolutely. I love the little hints here about Ted's home life. I mean, it's like, and you're doing a great job of pointing it out, like, it, it comes across, it presents immediately as, hey, this is just a goofy throwaway show. Insane-y, and then they start yeah. giving you these little things to show you, hold on, there's a little meat on this bone. There, there's yeah. actually something going on with this show. This first episode was solid. It set a good foundation for what the show would be. But it didn't become properly profound or give me hopes for how this show would be profound until the last scene. And we're going to get to that mm-hmm. because it comes back to this moment. Uh, they, we can, okay, I wanted to mention this. Last show we watched together, The Nevers, one of the things that I think most disappointed you about that show was that it had nothing resembling an intro. How overjoyed were you to have, brief as it is, a proper intro to this show? From my notes, verbatim, all caps, great opening sequence, <laughs> four exclamation points. So we reviewed The Nevers on HBO. If you've never seen it, it's really good. But the opening sequence is trash. It's garbage. I could have done a better job with a MacBook in 25 minutes. I promise you. This opening sequence is a killer, Spencer. It's so good. Tell me about it, man. Oh, my God. First off, the music is perfect. It's a perfect energy for this type of show. Heaven Heaven Knows I've Tried by Marcus Mumford and Tom Howe. Great song. Perfect vibe for the show. And then you've got him alone in the bleachers you've got all the different colors of the mm-hmm. bleachers it look you it is they did a, they were able to present it in such a way where it's sports bleachers obviously mm-hmm. but you know immediately it's soccer bleachers i don't know yes. how they do it but it, they the details around it you can tell even a bum like me who doesn't really watch much soccer can tell it's a it's a soccer stadium um and and it's just it moves quick it's fast uh, two big resounding thumbs up here from the Mango Talks folks for I, the opening sequence of Ted Lasso. For, when I first watched that show, I was con- I, I you know I watched it before we watched the Nevers. But when I was watching the Nevers and trying to convince you to watch the show, one of my main motivations was I need to get Lee an intro. He's been jonesing for an intro, and this is a good intro. He will like this. Really love a good intro. We arrive at the airport, and su- no surprise at all, Ted, who essentially functions as a, functions like a coked out toddler for a lot of these original scenes, got no sleep on the plane. None. He also ate Coach Beard's cookie, also kind of on point for what we're, getting, what we're getting out of this character. At first he was not sleeping, then he was thinking about not sleeping, then he was thinking about thinking about not sleeping. And that is such, for anybody who's ever struggled to sleep on a plane, oh my God, tugged at the heartstrings. <laughs> I know exactly what he's talking about. Well. We, they get off the plane and we meet Ollie. And spoiler for this show, if you learn a character's name and you spend more than five seconds with them, they will show up again. It's that kind of show. Yep. He is their driver, offers to carry their bags. They refuse. But one of the things they do insist on is that they want to do some touristy stuff before they arrive at the stadium. So they go to Tower Bridge and presumably a few other things while they're on the way. Tower the- Bridge, not London Bridge. This one's still up. What a line. That's crushing it. It's very apparent that Ted did not even read like a tourist guide before he arrived on site. <laughs> Nothing so at all. funny. That was a great line. It's a great line. They also discussed the fact that they are quite literally not in Kansas anymore. They can actually say that line without it being hackneyed. It's true. <laughs> they walk into the stadium. We get to hear Coach Beard discuss the uh, how soccer was invented. Which I look this up, and I, as best as I can tell, it isn't true that it was invented by Victorian headmasters to get their students to stop masturbating. Just want to set that out there now. Okay, because I was very unclear about that. Because it sounded plausible. This is what I'm talking about. The little yes. factoids they keep giving me in the show, like they all have a ring of truth to them. Some of them are true. Some of them like this probably bunk. Well, for one thing, soccer's a lot older than that. But it was codified and modern rules were set up in the Victorian era in England. 
but it has a lot of older roots than that anyway. But I can't find anything that really backs up a theory other than it's a popular rumor. Yeah, so, so it yeah. could be just like a thing that drunk people tell each other at bars and it's, stuff, but it's not it true. Is, it is in very much that kind of story. Uh, it seems like Ted can't even really bother to focus on this story anyway, because he's just kind of like just by force of gravity drawn to the pitch. And I can't blame him. This is a beautiful stadium. This is a beautiful stadium and utterly manicured grass. It is. And like, you, you also have to understand, like, if he is he coming from the coach of like a D2 football school. Yeah. It's, it's probably just overwhelming to him that he actually coaches yeah. people who play in the stadium. We, we should we should explain this because we keep on mentioning this. Would you do do a brief few seconds? What are D one, D two, and D three when it comes to the American college system for sports? Just yeah, our, sure, our yeah, system. yeah. I mean, it, they're just basically levels of um, collegiate athletics. So like D one would be like you know uh, U, UNC Chapel Hill, Duke, mm-hmm. um, UCLA, all the big schools. They're D one. Then you have a level lower D two, and then you have D three. D3 would be like um, your, not quite, it's not community college. It's a level higher than that, but it would be like your small liberal arts schools. Maybe like Sarah Lawrence would be like D3, right? Um, right. Yeah, so that, that's pretty much it. So D2 is like, he's probably dealing with a stadium that seats 5,000 people maybe. Right. It's very, very much an intermediate kind of level when it comes to collegiate sports. So just another thing that further frames, not only did he not teach pro, he didn't even teach top of the collegiate ne- the collegiate network. Right. Um they walk into the stadium. They're just utterly just in awe of the, the scale and scope of the, this Premier League stadium, one of the top twenty teams in all of in all of all of the UK, England. And we get to meet in glorious fashion another one of our made characters, Nate, who sees them walking on the walking on the pitch and proceeds to yell out, "What the hell are you doing?" As he runs across the pitch to tell them to get off the grass. Right. We get to see a lot about this character very quickly, that he is utterly exuberant at his job, utterly determined to do it well, while at the same time having the ego of a whipped dog. And Ted is immediately taken with him. Ted just immediately likes this guy a lot. Kindred spirit, for sure. I mean, I feel like Ted sees a lot of himself in Nathan. If he was, It's like a, a less successful Ted um, who maybe is a little bit more like um, traditionally book smart. I mean, it's one of those things where I have to wonder whether Ted started up in a similar manner. Ted's not old. I, mean, I picture Ted being maybe early 40s at the latest kind of thing. Yeah, and 40, 45, something like that. You have to wonder whether you kind of walked a similar route to Nate does over the course of this season. Um, we get Nate's main function upon just being utterly amazed that Ted actually seems to want to talk with him is to bring Ted to meet Rebecca for the first time, which he does and immediately runs away. Meet the boss. Meet the boss. What we get out of this conversation, because everybody quickly leaves, Nate runs away, tries to run back and runs away again. Uh, Higgins and Beard exit stage left so that everything about their, everything about their new houses can be set up and their luggage, and their luggage dealt with. And Ted just gets to sit down with Rebecca and it's pretty readily apparent that the two of them are a bit of an odd couple. They're kind of, I wouldn't go so far as necessarily say oil and water, but they don't mesh well in their initial meeting. All right, Spencer, it's well documented in a previous podcast that you like to teach me pop culture phrases. You have taught me the phrase shipping, relations shipping. I started shipping these two 12 seconds after they met. I cannot, I can't wait for, for Ted and Rebecca. I'm rooting for it. Uh, they're, they're, they become a fun pairing of characters over the course of this season. And Rebecca is... Remind uh, me the name of the actress? I can't remember right now. Um, uh, yeah, her name is uh, Hannah Waddington. Striking woman. Very, very very attractive woman as well. Ted tries to continually get her to laugh because it's Ted nature to want to do that and it doesn't work at no. any point. But she does offer him a cup of tea which doesn't go over well. Definitely a fish out of water when it comes to being in London. How do you take your tea? Well, usually I take it right back to the counter because someone's made a horrible mistake. <laughs> totally stealing that one. Totally stealing that one. Uh, and also, the follow-up line of where I always thought it would taste something like brown water, and lo and behold, I was right. It's such a funny thing that he like sits down and he's like, he starts naming the different options. Like, okay, well, what, what do you want? Well, I could take a coffee. I could take a latte. Everything is yeah. coffee-based. And How do you like, like your tea? We've got tea. <laughs> it's England. Welcome. She does agree to take him on a bit of a tour, to which we learn a few facts about the history of this club. The first match was in 1897. They were a hospital during World War I for, for injured and fallen soldiers. Discusses the idea of whether believing in ghosts, and we get probably the most Ted Lasso comment ever. Again, he's trying to be funny, but it's a bit of his philosophy. 
Yes, I do, but more importantly, I think they should believe in themselves, you know? That's yeah. just Ted. Perfectly. Yeah, so it, during this explanation of the club, and she's given this history, she does focus on, and we get more of this later, she focuses on the fact that they haven't really won too much. In yeah. her estimation, they haven't Pretty won too middling much. Kind now, of here's my understanding of how the Premier League and professional soccer works in Europe. So, mm. basically what you have is you have these local clubs, and they play in their league. It could be like a national league or it could be a regional league. And if you win that regional league, you potentially can qualify for the Premier League. You win the Premier League, you've won the whole thing. So it's like a tiered thing, right? And so my question here is, and I, I know you, you probably don't have the answer, but my question out into the zeitgeist is, for one of these small, like lo- relatively small to mid-sized local clubs, which is mm-hmm. what this is being portrayed to be, it's pretty unrealistic to expect to win the premier championship every every year. You're not beating AC Milan and all those folks like every year. So, yeah, are they really that mediocre? I mean, I feel like it's uh, she's setting these unreasonable like basically like, well, we haven't won our low, our like national league and we haven't gone to the premier league and won that. So therefore we're a failure. What they've never done bad they apparently haven't done bad enough that so they've gotten relegated down to the EFL Championship League because that, that's the one that's below them there are so many national soccer leagues when it comes to England and England and Wales so they've got the Premier League they've got the EFL Championship they've got the EFL League 1 League 2 National League and all kinds of ones even below that all of which are setting up their own cities and their areas these guys are one of the best 20 teams in the country but in that you know bracket of the Premier League they've never been more than middling or even below average. They, they've, they've been kind of mediocre. It's comparing them to their peers rather than everybody that's below them kind of thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just feel like the, for a, like a local club like that, you know, she seems to have these, like her her measure of what success is might not be 100% fair. And that may, by the way, come up in later seasons, I'm guessing. This is like a theory of mine. Fun thing, too. This, from what I know about them, Crystal Palace, the one that they're in their stadium and have their colors, and they're kind of assuming the rule over, other than the fact that they're playing them as their first game, which is a fun in-joke, also been pretty middling in Premier League for a long time, too. So kind of a similar thing there as well. Um, we oh, get to- oh, hold on. I screwed up that explanation. It's when you win your local league. So Premier League is like a like a national league for Britain. Yes. Then you go to the Champions League. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the next step up, and then you can win that. I think that's what what I meant there. But either way, there's this tiered system, and I just saying I, I think she's kind of like shitting on them unfairly. But they are at the top of the English football league. They are the greats among the greats. But among that elite club of twenty teams, they're below average. That's just how they're framing it. On their walk, we get to meet their wall of previous owners, where we get to meet, for the first time, Rupert. And from this picture, a lot of what we already knew about the man is being confirmed. (laughs) That, as the former manager said, Rebecca was clearly the last to know that this man was a bit of a philanderer. The picture kind of just hammers that point home. Ted a bit sticks his foot in his mouth when it comes to it, but does very kindly ask how Rebecca how she's holding up, which she doesn't... She seems caught off guard enough. She doesn't really know how to respond to the question. Yeah, it seemed to me, well, first off, there's a couple layers here, right? We have the kindness of Ted that they're reinforcing that. Like he just, yes. like he he remembers Nathan's name, right? Like he asks her how she's holding up. Like we get these little things. He carries his own bag at the airport, right? We're getting all mm-hmm. these little hints. Um, but also I think there's a cultural difference, right? Because uh, for best I can tell, again, haven't been uh, across the <laughs> pond, but best I can tell might not be common to ask that type of like probing yeah. personal question. Hey, how you holding up? There are circles in America. I'm not saying everyone, but there are circles in America where that's relatively common, right? If you know somebody has just been through a death, divorce, something, you say, hey, how, how you doing? How you holding up, right? It, it's also it's also even very regional in America. Kansas, though, big on that. That's a big a big thing they have in common with the, with the South. Yeah, and you can tell, he acts it perfectly. He acts like, well, how you holding up? Like, it's this common question, yeah. and she, boom, bristles, startled, doesn't know what to say. It's been a tough year. Yeah, just really kind of she's shocked by it originally, but it kind of builds back over walls the moment after it hits her. Right. We get after here the first indication that maybe, perhaps, ish, Rebecca may be setting Ted up for a bit of failure because she essentially just jet lagged. No prior experience, knows nothing about the sport, nothing about England, nothing about London, barely anything about the team, shoves him in front of a press that is just ready to eat him alive. As she basically just says, oh, no one told you? 
you're about to talk to all the press in the in the UK who of course want to hear what the hell is going on after this hit national news. Tough move. I got to and it's not even just them. All the press is there. Clearly uh television uh, BBC around England is around pl- England UK is playing this. His team is watching that he's not even met yet. We get to meet Roy and Sam with Roy instructing all the players. If I don't hear silence, I'm going to start punching dicks. Another great summary of a character right there. Yeah, perfect from Roy. I got to ask you, you've done politics before. You've done media before. You've worked in management. If you were to review his performance here as his initial exposure to the broader British public... How would you grade him? How does Ted do in this particular first foray? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, he limped to a C minus, I think. I, I mean, think you're he, being generous. Well, it only, here's why, because, he, you know, the worst thing you can do in these situations when you are, when you have a glaring weakness, right? And his glaring weakness is he's not really prepared for this job. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a known thing. Everyone, that's what he's, he knows he's going to get the question. It's coming out. He, a, he is true, 100% truthful and addresses it right in the face. He starts right mm-hmm. out with, you can fill two internets with what I don't know about football, right? So his honesty, I think, brings him along a little bit. It, now, of course, you have the gag of him spitting out the sparkling water. I'll, I'll just remove, <laughs> I'll take that off the table when I'm doing the grade. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that like addressing the elephant in the room, face, uh, fa- you know, fa- face up and just really um, not beating around the bush with that was really big for him in this scene and also is something that saves him many, many times throughout the season. Yeah, it's an it's a necessary bit of damage control early because Ted Krim, the independent, really sets up where everybody's <laughs> coming when it when, when coming into this conversation with is that he summarizes that Ted knows Jack shit and then asks, one last question, is this a fucking joke? Thank you, Trent. I love journal. I love boy. I boy do I love that they cut to the guys in the bar. That's hilarious. I left that out. We were also we're jumping to basically the team pub, and even the fan base, particularly the fan base, is just apoplectic about what the hell is happening. We get this kind of fun scene. They do a lot of fun work with, with sound on this show. Is that we get that fuzzy static sound you get when blood is just rushing to your ears as everything just starts to go to background noise as the journalists just start laughing at him and going into him. He starts spitting up fizzy water. It's not great. Rebecca then seemingly, which gives us a bit of a moment of, oh, maybe should interpret the scene differently, swoops in to save him. And in rapid order, shames the media, shames her husband in the prior performance of the team, and sets up Ted as a new direction, as a winning coach with a new philosophy, the lasso way, that is a hope of getting us off this just long run of mediocrity. And it really successfully just silences the media, as they don't have a thing to say to her. She's an intimidating presence to them. But it's a particular kind of shitty, right? Because she's setting him up to fail, but also displaying herself as this sort yes. of savior it's, to the media. I mean, she it's its a jerk move all the way around. Well, it's it's jerk move, but it is masterful. Once oh, we find it works perfectly well. I mean, and, they, and it is, and this actress has this like levity about her. I don't know oh, like yeah. what it is, like the way she carries herself. Like I feel like if she just walked in the room, I'd be scared of her. And it, and when she walked in, the journalist kind of snapped, like almost like the school teacher <laughs> is back in, like right, you know. Uh, we we all have to be in our best behavior now. And what we've seen already from those from those tabloid headlines, some of her sniping at the media is very personal because they've not been kind to her. And we get to see that a lot more of the course of the season. She has a bit of a personal war with them because they've gone under the below the belt with her constantly. Yep. Uh, this is this little exit of hers as Ted kind of apologizes for standing up on everybody's phones. It's really effectively inspirational. As, you know, Ted goes off to meet the players and Higgins, again, a bit of a whip dog himself, is legitimately inspired for a second about this. Like, you know, I didn't really know where this plan would work, but I, I'm really excited. This is a fun new direction. It's really going to be interesting to see what Ted's going to be capable of. And then we find out what Rebecca's plan actually is, or confirm what we already suspected. That Ted is an absolute wanker, that she hopes he fails miserably, and that this team is the one thing her husband ever loved, ever cared about, and she is going to burn it to the ground. Torture while him trying endlessly. to look good, while trying to look good, right? Like doing it in a way that it's not obvious what she's like. You know, where she comes out smelling like a rose, and she just throws Ted completely. In the bus. It's an evil genius kind of plan to just punish him for a small bit of the pain that he's been inflict- that he inflicted upon her, and it sets up this show is in some ways 
a bit of a remade across the pond version of a 1989 film, Major League. Did you ever see that film? Sure did. Yeah. Classic sports comedy. Wild thing, yeah. Charlie Sheen is a kid. Wesley Snipes is a kid. Tom Berenger, who I think was contractually required to appear in every 80s film. Great film. Similar bit of a plot of where a new owner is seeking to just drive a team to shit for her own purposes. Rebecca in this comes across as remarkably more sympathetic than that one did, even really at the start, and it only builds as time goes on, though. Yeah, he says he wants to see the the team, and uh, she says, can't keep a gaffer from the pitch. And he says, I'm 0 for 2 in that sentence, and I, Lee, was also 0 for 2 in that sentence, just letting everybody know. We're going to get a few of those. Um, He goes in to meet the team, and, well, he goes in to see the team on the pitch, which, uh, as we learn, is not practice, it is... Training? Very good. You're learning you're, you're learning your Englishism very quickly. Look at that. Uh, he gets to see Date again, who's legitimately surprised that Ted even remembers five minutes later who he is. And even you remembered compl- my name. <laughs> and compliments his sports his sports drink mix. Even Beard compliments his sports drink mix in his never say a word kind of way. But and that's still. big for Beard. We get to meet here as they're watching them practice a few of our first players. The first is Roy Kent. A classic legend midfielder who is starting to show his years. This is an archetype. We see this in all kind of sports media. I thought at first this would be all this character is. Boy, was I wrong as time went on. Roy is great. Roy is fascinating. Multifaceted character. He's famous for winning the Champions League eight years earlier for Chelsea. But eight years earlier. So that's win the Premier League, then win the Champions League. Great. He is an incredibly accomplished player who is now entering his twilight years. On the other side of the fence, we meet Jamie Tart, top scorer in the team, new young hot guy who's, who's striker, capable of incredible things, great at football, and left unsaid by Nate, nothing else. We meet Sam from the Nigerian League, which again frames that Ted has absolutely no idea how the player the players are coming from multiple countries, or how the even league works. Um, or How many the, countries are in this country? Four. Four. <laughs> Wales, part of the UK. Things you learn. Very we, confusing. We go to the locker room where we can set up that everything is different in the UK, that players are consistently abusing Nate, which was not great to see. All the players walk in and just take the time to just humiliate and mock and belittle Nate. It's kind of what they do. We also see that Roy is no too happy to see Ted. He gives him a look that... I think, I think Ted describes it as being like Roy Schneider in All That Jazz rather than Jaws. Reference still works, though. Man loves his movies. And Ted attempts to say hi to the team in a rather kind of awkward, not really sure of his footing fashion. And even as he's trying to do that, he is interrupted by a new character to add to the show, Keely. Keely Jones. Who like walks... like Keely a lot. I like Keely a lot, too. And she walks in with just all swagger. All confidence. She rules the room and is completely comfortable with all these players. She's not embarrassed that some of them might be naked. She was disappointed that they weren't. She just knows, like, they write this character so well that, like, you know, obviously if you are a um, af- professional athlete, you are going to have throngs and throngs of women or that are, that are like, wanting your attention. Mm-hmm. Not all of them know how to talk to professional athletes. This, this one does. knows how to talk to talk to them, right? She is very comfortable around them, and that's a very big difference um, between like the typical like athlete girlfriend that you see in a lot of these mm-hmm. types of, of shows or, or movies. She she's obviously one who's like an insider. Well, it almost fits more the concept of the, the structure of like a. Did you ever see? Let's do another sports film. Did you ever see Bull Durham? Yeah, of course. Uh, North, proper Durham. North Carolinian, of course. But it fits more of the style of where she's coming in, where she is the older woman shacking up or, t- or take or dating the younger star player it's yeah. a different dynamic of power she's not a trophy wife she's not a hanger-on she's controlling the relationship in many ways whether jamie tart believes that or not yeah 100 percent. she's picking him up to go to a waxing because of course he is and first of the questionable decisions that ted makes he just kind of let jamie lets jamie leave which roy gives him a look that would curdle milk when he just lets that happen and with keely kind of breaking his rhythm ted just kind of Says Gives a couple up. last words and just yeah. walks away. The moment's lost. Well, the only thing, the only reason I thought that maybe it was okay to let Jamie go is Ted starts it with, I know this isn't really started yet or something like that. So it made me think that he, like his time as coach hadn't really like officially begun. And if that's true, then letting him go is cool. But you're right. It does kind of 
like they already don't respect him and then this makes him like it reinforces he might be a pushover it also as we learn later with jamie it's the completely wrong way to start with jamie jamie is looking to walk over you when it comes to this relationship and if yes. you give him if you give him the opportunity he's going to do so Having kind of failed to set an initial impression with the team, Beard and Ted instead decide to set up shop and very quickly make this, their coach room, their own. What kind of things do they do to really set this up as a home away from home? Okay, so I got the notes on this. Here's Please. what they do. They they put up iconic sports moments, mm-hmm. uh, photographs of iconic sports moments throughout this office. Here's what they are. Mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston after he punched him. Get up, sucker, get up. Mm-hmm. Miracle on Ice, 1980, Lake Placid, New York, uh, USA versus the Soviets. Jimmy Valvano, NC State, 19, I think, 82, something like that. Uh, won the national championship. Only time ever NC State's won the national championship. Finally, Buster Douglas, picture of him after he knocked out Mike Tyson in Japan. What all these things have in common? They are very, very iconic, popular sports moments in America. They are yeah. not things that are going to yeah. translate to the UK at all. Mm-hmm. It, it sets up what an utter fish out of water that he is. But one thing I do like about the scene is it again shows just how close him and Beard are. One of the first things they do, even before they set up the posters, they shove their two desks together. These guys are close. These guys is, is how these guys are going to operate. Last thing that Ted does, though, is that he sets up... Well, we'll get to that in a second... Uh, Beard keeps on trying to keep Ted awake, and Ted gets to say hi to Roy for the first time. Roy's team captain. He's an important player to have in his camp. How would you summarize how the first conversation that Ted has with Roy directly goes? Well, he uh, he does. He starts trying to kill him with kindness. Tells tells yeah. old Roy. Uh, the team really responds to your leadership. You know the the threatening to punch him into dicks, um, which is not. Obviously surprising considering all of your accomplishments. Roy, thank you, but I never thought my career would end by being coached by Ronald fucking McDonald. It's an interesting way that Roy responds to this. Because he actually looks legitimately for a half second flattered by Ted's compliments, but immediately snaps back with respect to them. Oh, that's a nice thing you say. You incompetent buffoon that's going to bring shame on all of us. And possibly the most Ted quote of the episode. I nominate this for most Ted-ish, Tedism ever of mm-hmm. the episode. He thinks he's mad now. Wait till we win him over. <laughs> there is no more prophetic line of this entire show for summarizing how utterly pissed Roy is that Ted starts to actually have an effect on him. For sure. Um, Roy leaves. Then Beard share a chuckle. And Ted sets up a last poster, the one poster that the team can clearly see. A simple sign that says, believe, that the man cannot, for the life of him, get straight on that wall. Clear ass, full hearts, can't lose. Mm-hmm. As he's doing this, after he sets a belief sign, he also sees something else he wants to put tape over. He realizes that Jamie is that kind of player of where there are just naked pictures of his girlfriend just there. Unbelievable, this guy. I mean, I understand that his girlfriend is a model. Yeah, but he six. puts up nude pictures of his girlfriend in his locker that everyone can see. What does Ted do? Great Kansas Kansonian that he is. Uh, he goes, he puts tape over the nipples. Little, takes it down to PG-13. What, what, what were Keeley's thoughts then when she walks in and finds that he's doing this? Did he? Love did she, did she think that he that he was ogling her at first? Yes. Okay. He thought she he was he was ogling her. That's why she said, "What are you looking at? Yeah. Like fucking with him." And then when she saw what he had done, massive smile breaks out. You talk about winning somebody over quick. He's got Keely in the back pocket. Now. I love the smile they get. I love how they really kind of a natural rhythm with it, too. They immediately start to get friendly. She's the kind of yeah. person that responds well to Ted, even if she doesn't fully know what to make of him. Like, seeing a grown man beatbox was awkward for me, much less that, much less Keely as she sees it happen. Hope you never run into Biz Marquis. I have not. It has not happened before. But... As he does with so many people, he immediately starts to, you know, rub off on her. She immediately starts to gravitate to him, particularly, as you note, when she sees at the end that he's taken the time to cover up her business. Uh, She also briefly helps him get the poster on the wall straight, just totally leaning in the opposite direction. But it's fine. She also discusses, don't go on Twitter. Oh, yeah, they have a great moment where she's talking about Twitter. She's like, you're trending on Twitter. He goes, that's correct. And she's like, "You, you don't get on Twitter? Nope, not at all. Not surprising that Ted doesn't get on Twitter. I will say uh, to our vast audience out there, 
um, if you are a professional athlete, are you anybody in the media? Just all everybody famous get off Twitter. Do the, the lasso way. <laughs> You're better get off. off Twitter. Katie, get off Twitter. All these folks need to get off Twitter. Bad for you. Bad for you mentally. He I, knows that. He doesn't even touch it. I am absolutely there with you other than disagreeing that he ever was on Twitter in the first place. I can't well, he imagine. recognizes that he shouldn't be on it, maybe. Yes. Or maybe I'm just giving him too much credit. Maybe he just doesn't know what it is. He's just maybe technologically inept. In but it, he nonetheless is making the correct choice. That just cesspond of negativity just kind of seems like the anti-Ted Lasso. It's like if Ted Lasso it's ever went Lasso, on Twitter, but... Bo- either or both would just cease to exist. They would just cancel each other out kind of thing. For sure. Uh, we cut to the end of the day where Nate is driving them home in the smallest little ancient green car that has ever been known to man. It's almost a smart car. Can I point out how ridiculous... Ted, everyone should be aware mm-hmm. that this is complete horseshit, this hiring of Ted, when he doesn't have a car. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He, it's his first day there. You throw him in front of the media. You don't get him a car to get back to his place. I mean, not even a taxi, an Uber, or nothing. What? I think it again just frames frames that Ted doesn't. Ted is coming from a position of where he doesn't know enough to know that this is insulting. Yeah, that he's coming yeah. from you know a D two school, still very well regarded, whatever else. But he probably doesn't have the frame of reference to realize that the fact that they did not have a car set to pick him up is the most profound slap in the face they ever can offer him. It's almost to the point I would almost deem it crass on Rebecca's part. That she thought she could get away with this. It's almost like she's testing the boundaries for how much she can abuse him. And it's, I'm going to say this, though. Head coach at a D2 school, you're going to get a car. Still going to get you, a car? You're still going to get a car. Yeah, for it, sure. Even as humble as Ted is, he might have refused the car in the past, so they just stopped bringing Maybe. cars. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just hoof it. <laughs> Rebecca even takes the time to apologize for not ordering him a car, to which Ted just, eh, it's not a problem, it's not a problem. He, again, plays his chiful antics with the weird honking the car, steering the wheel thing from the wrong side, which he finds utterly amusing. It's hilarious. Uh, Knee yeah. slapper. Absolutely. He's a very childish guy, and how it works for you, it doesn't, often it takes time. Um, we also learn here that Rebecca's going with a twofold strategy to get Higgins in her camp, because she needs him in her camp. He's her assistant, he's basically serving as her main aide-de-camp to run the club when she's not there directly. Her two methods are, A, just straight buy him off, which gives him promotion, yep. a substantial sour raise, and B, shame him for prior aiding and abetting behavior. Because apparently, he was the prior director of communications, whatever else, under her husband, and played an essential role in smuggling in and out all of the girls for all of the multi-years of affairs that he was having. Snitches get stitches. What's she going to blame him for? What was he supposed to do? Go to her directly? I mean, come on. Like she's, I understand that she's upset about this situation, but she can't blame him for what he did. She she does, and she is. And it, whether it is well whether it is well founded or not, it's the position that she's coming from is that she's in a she is in a mindset to want to destroy everything that either he loved or that contributed to the pain that he inflicted upon her. And Higgins, in her mind, is very much in that camp. Rebecca does have a flame thrower. That is true. She yeah. is just she's just out there for blood. They're taken in Nate's tiny little car to their new residences, which honestly, pretty damn nice, really. Pretty sweet. Right on the street, too. Right in Main Street. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. Beautiful, massive windows that stare at Do they call it Main Street in in Britain? If it's the Main Street, do they call it Main Street? Is there a Main Street in Britain? We're going to call it that now. Okay. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Sure. It's a surprisingly nice place. I think they're almost like right across the street from each other, too. One of the things that should put us into a bit of a tone for what this moment is going to be, though, is that though he's settling in, we've lost the kind of upbeat music that characterized a lot of the rest of the episode. Yes. Great call, Spencer. I've got that in my notes. They do lead you a little bit in this show. They want you to know kind of what they're setting up, and the music does take a minor key, and it it, uh, it, it definitely softens, and it preps you for a uh, you know, potential, potential sad scene here. It's not, not the same up, uplifting stuff that we've gotten uh, the previous 26 minutes of the episode. And it's also interesting, too, to watch Ted drop some of the presentation that he's been previously saying. He's not exuberant in private. He's not, you know, running around with a caffeinated little guy that he normally is. He immediately gets a little bit awkward. He immediately gets lonely. And the mo- music hits that, that kind of somber, lonely tone. And as he's sitting alone in what is a dark apartment, doesn't turn on any lights, too, it's fitting the scene, he calls his son on the phone. And at this point, we still think this is going to be a nice, sweet conversation, potentially. Because yep. it's very much a loving dad calling his son for a brief little talk kind of thing. 
And he asks, is your mom there? Can I talk to her? And he visibly braces before she picks up the phone. Yep. He sucks in breath, steals himself. And they have one of the more painful conversations I've ever seen in a one-way fashion in a long damn time. It was of, tough. It's, we learn over the course of the conversation that in many ways, part of the reason that he's here is that he is physically giving her as much space as possible because they are separate. And the fact that he even is just calling her is enough to set her off. That's the amount of distance that she wants. He just tries to have a pleasant conversation as if everything's normal. She's not having it. She immediately shuts him off, immediately says, we need the distance. And when he tries to interrupt her to say, I love you, we get an incredibly painful moment of where he has to close his eyes and steal himself and say, it's okay, you don't have to say it back, when she clearly is not comfortable saying it. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And what, what we get out of the scene is that this is a remarkably upbeat man who is struggling to keep it together, more so than he's really letting on to anybody else. I almost we'll, fi- we'll find out more in terms of what other people know, but it really puts into a bit of analysis at this point how much of what we see of Ted Lasso over the course of this episode is just a facade. What is it masking? Truth we learn is that no, Ted Lasso is Ted Lasso, but it is also hiding a fair bit of pain because this is a Bill Lawrence show and that's how he does comedy. Yeah, in the conversation, he says like something about them visiting, and she said, what did I say? And he says, that's what I'm doing. I'm giving you that space. So it's a very throwaway line, but I think that what we're meant to think here is that you can start to piece this together. Part of the reason he took this crazy-ass yeah, job physically is because his wife said, I need some space, and he's trying to give it to her. And so he just took the first thing that came along that was outside of the house. He's probably got a substantial pay raise as a result of the job, too, which is lovely. Uh, new challenge. It's something that fits him well. But this factors in probably a lot more than anybody, particularly Sports Center, really realizes. And we get a last scene of Ted in bed, who again is unable to fall asleep because he's had too much of a day and too much of a day to, to come tomorrow. Also, probably jet lagged. I thought that was part of the joke. That factors. He tried to sleep back. Coach, he tried to sleep a little bit earlier. Coach, Coach Beard kept on waking him up. And that finishes our recap of the first episode. Great job with the recap. That is the recap of episode one pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think we can transfer to segments. Spencer, do you want to start with Sports Center Top 10? Let's do it, man. I think I've got, I don't know about you, but I have got 10 choices ready to go of top moments, top moments, top scenes, top characters in this episode. Okay, perfect. Uh, my Sports Center Top 10, I would like to point out that Jason Sudeikis won the Golden Globe and the SAG Award. For mm-hmm. Best comedy actor in a TV series for this. So, Deserved folks, if you it. think that there's not a lot of meat on this bone, um, you are wrong. I would say that the just the fact that he was in consideration and, and won these awards shows that it connected with people emotionally. I think you can firmly move it into the camp of Parks and Rec, The Office, shows like that that are going to be funny, going to be irreverent. You're going to get slapstick scenes, but you're also going to get moments where you like tear up and you really feel like emotionally connected to a character. I actually, in my notes, have it as um, this is the the soccer version of Parks and Rec. Like this is like Leslie <laughs> Nope leading uh, a football club in England. And what's so interesting, the comparisons to Parks and Rec and The Office are, fu- are, are fun and fairly accurate for tone. But this is, a sh- unlike Parks and Rec and The Office, this show was great in its first season. Parks and Rec and The Office started out slow. It started out rough. They got better over time. I disagree completely about The Office. It was just a, I, I, it was a very different show. It, it was meaner. It, it really resembled the British version of The Office. It wasn't it wasn't heartwarming and sweet. You didn't get a lot of those moments. It was still very I thought brilliant, but it was a different. You you watch season one of The Office and season ten of The Office or nine Night completely day. different shows. Hundred percent different. This is more like season nine of The Office. I, I think it's fair to say that seasons, anything after season one of The Office resonated a lot better with fans than season one did. It wasn't the show that people were really It wasn't as for. popular in season one, for sure. It almost got canceled, but I, yeah. I love season one, but that, that's a whole different issue. So it'll be very curious to see whether this show can sustain its momentum after, after having a great first season. The second season has a lot of anticipation going into it. Okay. Uh, we, first time doing this, should we do round robin? Or we do, we're, we're yeah, yeah, each? go ahead. Yeah, what's uh, next in the sports in the top ten here? Starting off first episode, great female characters. Surprisingly good female characters on this show. As you know, Rebecca is a tour de force and doing a female antagonist that is vicious. It is 
evil mastermind the current plan she's, she's bringing to bear, but also somehow, even in the first episode, comes across as sympathetic as she's doing them. Even as she's hurting a good man, hurting a league, everything else, she's coming from a place of pain that is understandable, and the actress sells it wonderfully in all of her scenes. Completely agree. That's uh, very strong. Uh, next on the Sports Center Top 10, small moment here, but when Rebecca is getting in the car at night as she's leaving the facilities after Ted leaves with Nate, she gets in a car and she presses a button to close the door. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> she's too rich to close her own door, Spencer. She has a button for that. Well, if, you know, of course she's not Love driving. the detail. Yeah, Love great the detail. detail. They, could have, they could have so easily had her just close the door. But instead, they spent the money, the time, and the effort for that little detail where she presses the button and the door closes for her. It's the little things that matter. Building off the one I just said, Keely, best swagger entering a scene of anybody else in this episode. 100%. Yeah. She, she, she owns the room in every, in, in every room that she ever enters, and that stays true for pretty much the rest of the show. It's, it's a great Flair. intro to she's a character. A, she's like a wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> Swag. And I love the I love the banter that she sets up with Ted over the course of the show, and we already get to see a bit of that. So another, another great introduction to a character. Next on the Sports Center Top 10, I just want to point out something, get it in everybody's head. A little nugget here for you. Jason Sudeikis got divorced right around the same time yeah, that this, this, this was beautiful. So he uh, and Olivia Wilde got divorced around 2019, I believe. Um, that's when the, this was pre-production being written and um, being filmed. And I, I, I have got to believe that there's a little bit of uh, art imitating life here. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite scene for me really was the last episode, really the last scene, as I've already kind of suggested, just because it told me this was going to be more than just a light comedy. This was going to be a lot more meaningful than that. I love Bill Lawrence's on material. Scrubs is one of my favorite shows. I've cited it before. Scrubs one of the shows. so great, yeah. One of the shows that helped me pass the bar is a separate story. We'll talk, we'll talk about it at some other point. Um, and it really kind of hits the same tenor as, like an, as, as even MASH from back in the day, of where comedy can in some ways be more profound even when it is sad, practically because when it, of when it's sad. And this show sets up with this last scene, and we come, it's a constant thread that goes through the, all the material that we have, that it is willing to do moments of sadness, it's willing to do moments of profound emotion, and make them work while still factoring them into comedy. And that's a hard thing to do successfully, and the show does it beautifully. Completely agree. Do you have any more? Uh, you know, uh, I, just, I had a sudden deletion moment, and I lost all the other seven or eight I was going to mention. So, yeah, I'll stop it there. Okay, so I'll wrap up the Sports Center Top 10 here. Number 10 on the list is outro music, Bismarcky. <laughs> I didn't write that one down. Good call. It's up and it's good, folks. That is a hell of a way to end the episode. They stuck the landing. I thought it was perfect. Maybe chuckle. Bismarcky is the outro music. Well done, sir. I've got to ask then, as we move on to our next segment, who do you find was the train wreck of this episode? Who got completely off the rails and ended up in a ditch? It's tough, right? Because, I mean, you got to kind of say Ted. You got to give it to Ted. Ted had you a gotta rough give episode. It. I don't want to give it to Ted. I'm going to hate giving it to Ted any of these weeks, but... I mean, from the press conference with the fizzy water okay. to the fact that he's being played by this lady to the fact that when he gets back to the flat, his wife doesn't want to talk to him. It's all around tough for Ted. A lot of bad looks. Train wreck of the episode. Ted Lasso. I mean, even if we just had to pick an interval scene in this modern, you know, gift TikTok world, the moment of him spissing, uh, uh, spitting out the fizzy water on all the reporters' phones, how much would that make rounds around the internet for weeks and months afterwards? It may be years because yeah. you may, it may become like a sort of like, you know, a meme. Know, something, so yeah, a meme hap, Yeah, a meme. And it's just on the front page of Reddit whenever something happens that surprises people. The, the new spit take kind of thing. It, it, he would never live that down. And that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what this guy goes through this episode. It's a rough thing to say of our title character, but man, he was a train wreck this game. Ted Lasso, definitely train wreck of the episode. I don't think you have an honorable mention this week. I think it's just like they come in hot and heavy, wanting you to know that Ted is fish out of water, struggling. They are breaking him down to build him up. Very much so. I think that's an accurate read of where we're going for this. Okay, we will wrap up our segments with Ted's lessons of the week. These are lessons that we get from Ted for the show. And from Uncle Lee. All right, here's the here's the lessons I've got for you. Um... As we get multiple times in the episode from Ted, 
always ask for someone's name, no matter their position in the organization. Mm-hmm. Always important to know someone's name. Doesn't matter if they're way, way, way below you, or in the case of the boss, owner of the club, way, way, way above you. Always try to get the name. It's a good. It's a solid book. Absolutely. We get to see it when he meets Ollie for the first time. We get to see it when he meets Nate for the first time. It is a regular way he goes about interacting with people. Ted doesn't view anybody as being below him. It's not meriting him knowing their name or whatever else. He greets everybody as an equal, and it factors into a lot of just how people really gravitate to him. Next one. In the face of hostility, positivity usually goes a long ways. Um, <laughs> this is this is the Ted Lasso way. She, talked to, she started right out. Print the t-shirts, by the way. They Right away, they're giving you a call a slogan. Lasso way. Um, this is the Ted Lasso way, really. It is, and he he it talks about it, you know, and he references it in that interaction with Roy when he says, you know, if he thinks he's mad now, wait till we win him over. Basically, look, out there in the world, somebody's being a real dick to you. If you can hit them back with positivity, you're going to win the round. They're going to score the round to you, no matter what the argument's about. And Ted always comes into this almost like a Pollyanna kind of figure, just relentlessly upbeat. But there's a certain amount of stubbornness that's really factoring into that. That he knows the world is not necessarily receptive to this particular philosophy. He knows he's going to get a lot of resistance. Hell, even this show in some ways feels like resistance to a lot of the just utterly bleak, nihilistic tone we get out of a lot of television shows that are coming out nowadays. But I also think it's... um strategic right because yes. and we see this more in later episodes obviously you don't really get a taste for it this episode but he understands that when you are dealing with athletes who are the king of their own worlds <laughs> you cannot get in the muck with them you have got to always be super positive like kind of like the nice uncle who's just sort of always around always motivating him and that's the way you keep some level of clout with them because mm-hmm. if you you got in the muck and you argued with them they would you'd be fucking out right it also seems like it factors in from a lot of the idea that he was a college coach. That he's really treating these players as if they are young student athletes. And it really kind of brings that kind of philosophy to bear when he's interacting with them. In a way that they probably haven't had to really deal with in a long damn time. Alright, second to last Ted lesson here. Um, this is, shout out to our guy Roy. Um, not a great, you might be, maybe Roy gets honorable mention for train wreck of the episode now that I think about it. Because he did not have a great episode. Roy comes on strong later you reference that Mm -hmm. uh this is very much the scene with with ted and roy in the locker room when someone gives you a compliment thank you is enough (laughs) anything else at all nothing not another word next time you're out in the world this is uncle lee talking to you kids if someone gives you a compliment say thank you put a period at the end of the sentence and let it die there Okay, this is a hill that Roy is willing to die on, sir. Roy will never agree with you on this philosophy. Not one moment in the course of this entire damn show will Roy embrace this particular philosophical choice. And he will be wrong every single time because that is not the right way to do it. And we will end Ted Lessons of the episode. This is the last lesson that I got from episode one of Ted Lasso. It is an actual quote from the very own Ted Lasso. Please. It is, the harder you work, the luckier you get. That is a philosophy to live by right there. Okay. We wrapped up our segments. We have wrapped up our recap of episode one of Ted Lasso. Spencer, any concluding thoughts? It It's a weird thing to say in a show that's this awesome, but this is a show that builds over time. This first episode is good. It's solid. It ends in a moment that really gives you an interesting kind of kernel about what may, may be more, much more even deeper going on forward. But I would almost say that this is a show that we've discussed kind of how shows do arcs or whatever else, whether there's a constant build or whether there's a decline. This is a show that seems like it's on a constant build. We started at a decent point, but we're only getting better as time goes on. Absolutely. I am going to give you my concluding thoughts of the episode and kind of my thoughts a little bit about the previewing my thoughts about the series um, by doing what any good uh, journalist slash podcaster does. I will quote Wikipedia. I promise you, I promise you, I looked at a lot of other stuff. It just please, happened. Please. It, it happened to be Wikipedia that had the quote that I thought really encompassed my thoughts about this pilot and furthermore about the episode. It is this, folks. Above all odds, Ted Lasso chipped away at my skepticism until there was none left, just like the character himself does to everyone he meets. At a time when just about everything feels catastrophic, there's something undeniably satisfying about spending some time with good people who are just trying to be the best they can on and off the field. Damn straight. Very well said. Really, it's 
I think I even marked this show to you is it's Kim's convenience with soccer. And it gives me a very kind of similar feel in that just having a show that's about good people trying to do well and being happy about it. You don't see that as much anymore. Absolutely. It makes you feel good. Episode one made me feel good. Season one made me feel good. We will continue on this journey of reviewing Ted Lasso season one. We will be back next week. We release these episodes every Tuesday night. So we will be back with you next Tuesday night. I enjoyed doing this with you, Spencer. Any concluding thoughts? It's fun, mate. It's going to be more fun as we go. <laughs> thank you. And thank you all for listening. You can check out all of our pods at mangumtalks.com. Check out Mangum Reads. Check out Mangum Talks TV. Check out Never's More. Check out all the other stuff that we do. We love to love to have you. Uh, we love doing these pods, and we really appreciate you listening. And if you did enjoy this podcast, thank you very much. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Those things really matter. And by the way, I read all the reviews, so I really appreciate it when you take the time to do that. Let us know what you think. And if there's something you think we can do better, let us know that too. You can always leave a review at whatever podcast platform you listen to, or you can go to mangumtalks.com and leave a comment uh, for us to read. I will read every single one. I will curate them. I will feed them to Spencer. And sometimes we might talk about them on the pod. So again, thank you for listening. We'll be back with you next week to review episode two of Ted Lasso. See you.